forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Would you please pray with me? God, you have told us right here, uh, from the rising of the sun to its setting, we are to praise your name, for you are worthy of our praise. Would you please help us this evening by your Holy Spirit? All of us have incredibly busy holiday calendars. Uh, We have events. We have things with children. We have school things and assignments and tests. The list goes on and on. And Lord, all of these things um, can take us away from this place, mentally, even spiritually. So Lord, would you bring us here this evening by your Spirit. Help us to see you clearly. Help us to hear and receive your word this evening. Help us to sing your praises truthfully by faith. We pray you would do all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would remain standing, we'll sing our first hymn together, which is hymn 197, Comfort, Comfort Ye My People, hymn 197. Let's sing. You may be seated. 
If you'd like, you can turn to our Old Testament reading, or you can simply listen. It's Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and these are going to be uh, themed around Advent as we look ahead to the coming of Jesus and as we look back to his first coming. So would you hear God's word from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5? The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. One of the ways in which we can approach this Advent season is by confessing our sin together. It's a way in which we can come before God and say, Lord, I am burdened by my sin. I am burdened by my worries, my cares, my anxieties. And it's a way to prepare our hearts to bring God into our lives, into the present moment. So we have this corporate confession of sin in our bulletin, and then we'll have a time of silent prayer and confession as well. So if you would, please pray this prayer printed in the bulletin with me. Most merciful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who pardons all who truly repent and turn to you, we humbly confess our sins and ask for your mercy. We have not loved you with a pure heart, Neither have we loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not done justly, nor loved mercy, nor walked humbly with you, our God. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your mercies, blot out our iniquity. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Cast us not away from your presence, And take not your Holy Spirit from us. Restore unto us the joy of your salvation. And uphold us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's go into a time of silent prayer.
Lord, this short moment of silent prayer might be one of the few moments during our day when we can simply sit in your presence and be still and to hear you, to listen for you. So God, as we come before you with our needs and with our repentance, Lord, we ask that you would hear us and answer us. God, there is so much that can be weighing upon us, especially this month. Many of us are lonely. Many of us are simply so busy that we get to the end of the day and are just looking forward to sleeping. God, whatever station, whatever situation your people are in, I pray that you would meet them specifically where they are with the cares that they have, with the needs that they have, the desires that they have. God, we continue to pray for Marilyn that you would heal her and bring her the care that she needs from the doctors that she needs. That you give them wisdom and clarity and help her to recover quickly. We pray that as well for Laura. And God, there are other sicknesses and illnesses that have beset many in our church. So Lord, would you keep us healthy? Would you help us to recover quickly, especially as we look forward to uh, choir events, uh, parties, gatherings, being with family? Lord, we pray that you would bless us with health so that we can enjoy those times. God, as we go further into this service, Lord, we pray that you would leave us uh, with your spirit, that you would lead us, that you would fill us, that you would encourage us and challenge us, all by your word and your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hear now the assurance of pardon from Psalm 37. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. For the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Amen. We'll take up our evening offering now as we rest in this assurance of God's pardon, assurance of his salvation and love for us. Uh, we'll sing hymn 200 as we take up our offering, which is, It Came Upon the Midnight Clear. Let's sing together hymn 200.
Now I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 14 for our evening message. Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 12. If you've heard me preach in the evenings, I have been going through Mark, but we're taking a break from that for this evening and looking at a passage that I personally love. Uh, I love to see the heart of God bringing people into a party, to a feast, to a banquet. So um, I chose this as we think about Advent. um, I thought this passage fit well. Um, If you missed the explanation about Advent this morning, it's also in your bulletin, a short description of what Advent is. Um, Advent is that four-week period in which the church rejoices in the first coming of Jesus incarnate as a baby, and then we eagerly look forward to Christ's coming again, the second Advent. And beginning with the Sunday that's nearest, November 30th, and ending the day before Christmas, this is Advent season. Um, The first week, and not everyone uses these titles, but the first week is known as the week of hope, then the next week is peace, joy, and then love. So tonight we're going to look at this theme of hope. Hope in the great feast of the first advent and the second advent of Christ. So let's read chapter 14, starting at verse 12. This is God's word. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, Many of you know about our daughter Jane's journey with food allergies Um, Many of you have been very kind and gracious about that as we've tried to make things work while at church gatherings and things like that. Um, She's been allergic to eggs and peanuts and milk for most of her life until this year when we've been getting treatment with a doctor in Birmingham. Uh, 
either me or Elizabeth will drive out to Birmingham once a week, and every week they'll give Jane a little bit more of whatever it is that she's working through um, that she's allergic to. So they'll give her just a tiny bit more. Sometimes it's microscopic. We don't even see the difference. But each week she goes higher and higher in dosage, and then throughout the week she'll eat that same dose until the next time we get to Birmingham, and they increase it from there. So every week, and we've been doing this for the past five months, it seems as tiring as it sounds. It is as tiring as it sounds. And we have had to make certain milestones that we could look forward to, to keep on going, to keep on persevering through this. And we've looked forward to these milestones in hope and expectation of enjoying them. And the first milestone was simply and obviously Jane being able to eat peanut butter without dying. That is a great milestone to hit. And we, we did reach that milestone. The second big one was eating Chick-fil-A. And that was actually relatively recently. And it was fantastic. We were looking forward to the day when Jane could go to Chick-fil-A and order the chicken nuggets that every child in the world or every child in America is enjoying. It also meant that she could eat fried food like donuts. And then the next thing we were looking forward to was things with eggs and milk baked into them. And this might be all new to you, like it sounds strange, but it's amazing. She can now eat things with eggs and milk baked into them, and that means cakes and cinnamon rolls, mac and cheese, lasagna, and soon ice cream. And so she didn't know what these things would taste like. All along, we've been telling her, just wait until we get to this next milestone and enjoy a donut or Chick-fil-A or things like that. And she's like, yes, I can't wait. But she doesn't have any idea what it is that she's waiting for or what she's excited about. She just knows that something will taste better than what she has been eating. She'd been eating things like those things and those milestones that we've been talking about, they were a shadow of what was to come. So she's been eating fried chicken without eggs and milk in the batter, which is not great. Uh, she's been eating cakes and muffins with flaxseed, eggs, which is not eggs, soy milk, all of that stuff. And she knew that food with eggs and dairy would be enjoyable, of course, and better than she was having, but she couldn't conceive of it. And one time last week, she was eating an old muffin from the freezer made with flaxseed. And when we defrosted it and she started eating it, she said, Daddy, I know this is an old muffin because of how hard it is. And, <laughs> uh, and she's right. Now that she gets to use eggs, I mean, muffins are just 10 times more enjoyable. They're so much softer. Okay. Why am I talking about all this? Because I'm extremely grateful to God for this doctor, but also... Because based on this passage, I see something similar happening. Uh, we know, because of the first advent and the life that Jesus has brought in, the kingdom of God, we know that the second advent is going to be better, greater, more delicious even than what we have already experienced and seen in the Incarnation. We don't know exactly what it's going to be like when Jesus 
comes again, but we have a foretaste. We have a shadow of that great day when we will be with him face to face. Much like Jane is looking forward to better foods, but she can't really conceive of them, we look forward to that second advent. So I want to look at Advent in this way, in this uh, theme of a banquet or a party or a feast, because the Bible over and over and over again talks about the second coming of Christ being this wedding party, essentially, this great feast, this banquet where God's people will be together enjoying the presence of Christ himself. So I have two points we'll look at. The first is, what is living the Advent life? And what does that even mean? What is living the Advent life? And two, how does living the Advent life change us in the present and give us hope for the future? So let's look at living the Advent life. Simply put, the Advent life is living, is, is enjoying a feast with Jesus. And everyone's invited, but not everyone accepts. And so if we look at our passage, the context for our passage this evening is that Jesus was invited by a wealthy ruler of the Pharisees to his home for a dinner. And now he's at the table. This is where he's speaking. If you look again at verse 12, It says, he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Of course, Jesus is saying when you give a dinner or a banquet, invite people who can't repay you, whether in money, credibility, or reputation. And by doing this, he's saying to them, you will be honored. You'll glorify God in doing this. You'll glorify God and not yourself. So what does this have to do with Advent? Again, Scripture talks about Christ's second coming, the second Advent, as a feast, as a party. And no one at this feast is going to be capable of, of course, repaying God. No one's going to be bringing an appetizer that is going to sufficiently impress the host that you feel like you've earned your spot at the party. God's people began pointing to this feast, this second advent, by living out the first advent, the life of the kingdom, the here and now. So if we look at the passage even closer, Jesus is invited to this powerful ruler's house and the Pharisees in attendance think the coming kingdom of God is going to look a lot like the meal that they're having in this passage. And in a sense, that's true. There will be a nice meal, but in another sense, they're completely wrong. Their reputation has earned them these seats at this prestigious man's house. And of course, in God's feast in his kingdom, they may not even have a seat. If you look at verse 15, it says, When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Here's a person almost toasting the group, saying, When the Messiah is on his throne, we will join in the good times just like we are now. 
The good times are just going to keep on rolling. This is, what we have here is a picture of what's to come for us. His idea of the kingdom of God is a feast of righteous people. People who follow the Torah, who practice Sabbath laws and deserve a seat at the table for their obedience. He doesn't have in mind the kind of feast that Jesus does where there are the blind, the lame, the outcast. So Jesus then responds to this man with another parable. And in Jesus' parable that comes after this, Israel, the people of God, are receiving the invitation to come into the kingdom of God that God is extending to them, but they're coming up with excuses. They refuse the invitation to join Jesus at the feast. In verse 21, says that the servant came and reported these things to his master, and the master became angry. And so he tells the servant to go out and to invite everyone that he can, to go out into the towns, into the highways, into the hedges, and to invite everyone. And then he says, in verse 23, compel people to come in. I love that. Compel people to come in that my house may be filled. So God in his plan of redemption has gone out compelling people to come into his kingdom. From every tribe, tongue, and nation to join him at the Advent feast of his son Jesus. He doesn't invite people who can bolster their reputation. He doesn't invite people who can pay him back. He brings in the needy, the poor, the poor in spirit, social outcasts, anyone and everyone who will simply accept the invitation in faith. When Jesus preaches the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe, it is an invitation to come to the feast. It's a feast because you're united to the bread of life by faith. By faith, you can actually feast with Jesus himself. That's what you're called to. A spiritual feast for our hearts, our minds, even our bodies. As we enjoy Christ in this life, we're preparing for the greater feast to come. It's pointing us towards the second advent. Living the advent life simply means feasting with Jesus, accepting the invitation to be with Jesus. So what does that matter? Why, why are we talking about this? It leads us to our second point, how we apply this. Living the Advent life, as we see in our passage, changes us in the present and gives us hope for the future. The Advent life changes us in the present. How does it change us? Well, one... The Advent life gives us present and future hope. And then we'll look at one more thing after that. But most people, as C.S. Lewis would argue, and I'll quote him in just a moment, most people misunderstand the significance of the Advent of Jesus. And that's probably an understatement. Or they simply have too small a view of what Jesus is going to reveal to his people on that day when he comes again. This life can get so difficult. There can be so much sadness and suffering in your life, in my life, that it can weigh on us like a pile of bricks. 
the feast that we have today with Jesus can be ruined. The invitation can be rejected because of all sorts of reasons and problems. We're invited over and over again by Jesus to come to the feast, to join him at the table. But we settle for things like alcohol, Netflix, video games, gossip, TikTok, adult content on the internet. We can even look to relationships to fill those needs that only Jesus can. To solve our sorrow and loneliness, we don't go to Jesus, we go to other people. So to manage our pain and our shame and our depression, we turn to counterfeit bread. Bread that promises to fill us and oftentimes does satisfy us for just a moment. But it never actually fills us. All the while, Jesus is saying, come and sit with me at the table. Come to the feast. Come to the banquet and enjoy the spiritual food that I have prepared for you. There's more than enough, he says. And by doing that, you'll look forward to the life to come. There's a quote from The Great Divorce, a book by C.S. Lewis. It's a fictional story. I don't, don't need to say fictional because it's a story about a bus ride from hell to heaven. Um, and in that story, I want to read one part about how we can think about Advent. We read this. Son, he said, you cannot in your present state understand eternity. That is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some present suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. And some sinful pleasure, they say, let me have but this and I'll take the consequences. Little dreaming how damnation will spread back and back into their past and contaminate the pleasure of the sin. Both processes begin even before death. The good man's past begins to change so that his forgiven sins and remembered sorrows take on the quality of heaven. The bad man's past already conforms to his badness and is filled only with dreariness. And that is why the blessed will say, we have never lived anywhere except in heaven. And the lost will say, we were always in hell. And both will speak truly. You see, at Christ's second coming, at this great feast, he's going to work backward through your life. He's going to turn your agony, your agonies into glory. But even now, when you accept the invitation to the feast for the first advent, your past begins to change. Your forgiven sins and remembered sorrows, C.S. Lewis says, begin to take on the quality of heaven. You uncover this supernatural and spiritual power to see that your sorrow and loneliness now will turn into dancing. In short, your present life is transformed from, as Paul says, one degree of glory to the next as you enjoy the feast of Jesus. But 
you and I, like the people in this parable, will give excuses not to come to the feast. If you look again at this passage, I laughed when I read these excuses. One man says he needs to look after a field he purchased. Like, the field's not going to go anywhere. He doesn't need to look after his field. Another says he needs to check his oxen that he just bought. The other says he is married. And uh, I've talked to other people about this passage, and we've agreed that we'll just say that's a valid excuse sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) They all have excuses to decline the invitation to the feast. And the Christmas season, of course, for us, can have many excuses. We can bring our excuses to decline the invitation of Jesus to join him in his presence. Somehow, I'm sure many of you have experienced this, all the events and gatherings and worship services, it can drive us further away from Jesus when the whole purpose is to be drawn drawn near him, drawn near her to him. So we all, in some way or another, are declining to be with Jesus because we're settling for things that can never come close to providing what Jesus can provide for us. But this is the good news. Because God is merciful, he is gracious. He says, again in that passage, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. God doesn't simply hand out invitations and wait for people to accept or decline. He goes out to compel people to the feast. God is going out by his spirit and compelling you to come to him. That's amazing because he's saying, I have this amazing feast and I'm not just going to let you say no. I'm going to show you that maybe your sin is clouding your judgment. You need to come to this party because it is incredible. Come to the feast, he's saying. God is actually awakening people's hearts to accept his invitation. God is the one at work. He is the one who regenerates our hearts. He is the one that causes us to want to be with him so that we can enjoy his feast of grace. And when we enjoy this Advent life, it gives us present and future hope, but it also does something else that's major. We become propelled by the grace of God. We become propelled by the grace of God. You see, when you feast with Jesus, when you really enjoy his grace, his compassion, his joy, his presence propels you outward. It pushes you outward. We're propelled to love others, to share Christ with others, to bring people to the feast, to encourage others with the bread of Christ. Jesus, of course, lived, suffered, was rejected, died, and rose from the grave, all so that you could offer nothing and receive everything from him. He has done it all, and he offers it to you freely as a gift. And I think when you and I eat and enjoy 
this good news, this feast of grace more and more, we won't be asking questions like, how often should I read my Bible this month or this week? How often do I need to pray? Or the reverse, which is I feel bad because I haven't read my Bible every day this week. Whatever it might be, God is the one compelling you to eat of this feast, to feast on Jesus. And when you do, you'll want to bring others to the table as well. So living the Advent life propels you outward to share the gospel and to care for the physical and spiritual needs of those around you. Um, A theologian named N.T. Wright uh, said this in his book about, well, I'll just... It's not an Advent book. It's about the becoming of Christ. He says this about the feast. When it becomes clear that the people who feast at Jesus' table are the ones who pray for the Spirit to work in and through them, are the people who seem to have extra resources of love and patience in caring for those whose lives are damaged, bruised, and shamed, then it is not only natural to speak of Jesus himself and to encourage others to worship him for themselves and find out what belonging to his family is all about, but it is also natural for people, however irreligious they may think of themselves as being, to recognize that something is going on that they want to be a part of. He's saying, when you feast with Jesus... That's going to propel you outward. People are going to want what you have. When you are enjoying the presence of Christ, you're feeding on his grace. People will want to know what you are doing. Where are you going to receive this bread? So as God gives you a hunger for his grace, as he compels you to come to him, He gives you a hunger for his word, a hunger to be with him in prayer. As we feast with Jesus by God's grace, he gives us this present and future hope. His grace propels you to bring others to the feast. People will ask you questions like, I just read a short book called On Getting Out of Bed. It's a Christian uh, professor who wrote a book simply about why do you get out of bed in the morning? What's your reason for getting out of bed? I thought it was fantastic, and I'm not going to quote him there, but essentially people will ask you questions like, why are you getting up again to go through the day? What is your, what do you have for you in this life? Many people will note how the birth rate is going down, how current younger generations don't want to have children because of the current climate of issues going on, even climate change. They don't want to bring a child into the world that they see forming. So when you simply have a child, people will ask, how can you have a child in this world? There are so many ways in which we bring people to the feast of Christ. So many things that attract people to Jesus that you and I are able to have. 
So because Jesus came into this world to bring us to his table, he has given us his promises. He has said when we enjoy the Lord's table that he's not going to drink the fruit of the vine again until he comes again and can drink it with us. He's the one who was betrayed at the Last Supper so that we could have a seat at the table of the feast. He drank the sour wine on the cross so that we could drink the aged good wine with him. He fed on his tears in the garden so that your tears, your tears, and mine would one day be wiped away forever. So tonight, here, the invitation is going out again to you and to me, to all who would hear it. He is compelling you as we speak by his word, through his word, by his spirit, to come to the feast, to repent of your sin and self-worth, to give it up and to sit at the table with Jesus. I think when we finally get to that great feast of the second advent, we're going to marvel that we have a seat at the table at all. We're going to turn to the, next, to the person next to us and ask, how did you get here? And then if someone asks me that, I'll say, how did I get here? How did you get here? And we'll all be asking each other that question. And the answer for all of us will be the same because Jesus brought me here. He's the only reason I'm here. His grace compelled me to come to the feast. I had nothing to offer him, and he said, that's all right. There's nothing you could offer me. He said, all I want you to do is to enjoy my feast, to enjoy my company. And he asks you and me, will you come and eat with me? Will you spend time with me? So come and eat with Jesus. Accept the invitation to his feast. Let's pray. God, there are so many distractions this month, and not just this month, all year, for our whole lives. We will have excuses and reasons, many valid, in which we won't accept your invitation to be with you. So God, would you help us? Would you compel us to come to you again? In whatever way that might look, Lord, we're not looking for a new Bible reading plan or a new devotional. We're looking for your presence. We're looking to be with you. We know we need to be with you. Would you help us to be with you? Would you help us to spend more time with you in prayer, in your word, even tomorrow? Help us to accept this invitation to remind us of your grace and your love for us and all that you have provided for us and cause us to look forward to that great feast to come. We thank you for your word. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. To close out our service, we'll sing one more hymn, and after this hymn, you'll see in the bulletin, if you have a bulletin, there is an Advent proclamation that I just came up with, and it's simply a way of joining our faith together and praying out loud, Come, Lord Jesus. So if you would, please stand for our last hymn, and I'll lead us in that final proclamation at the end. Hymn 216.
now the proclamation which I'll follow with the benediction. Surely the Lord is coming soon. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Hear the blessing of God from 2 Thessalonians as you go. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen.